Exciting episode of the Fire and Water Podcast, the official podcast of, of AquamanShrine.net and FirestormFan.com. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag from Firestorm Fan. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the mysterious Rob Kelly from Aquaman Shrine. How you doing, buddy? I am very happy, and I am basking in the glow, in the knowledge that we are in the second golden age of Aquaman. <laughs> we are living in a world where Aquaman has two monthly titles. <laughs> That is insane, my friend. Never happened before. Well, I, you know, I thought about this. Um, you know, let, let's talk about the big seven, if you will. Right? Superman, Batman, lots of titles. Wonder Woman, just a couple months ago, got her very first second concurrent monthly title. And she has to share it with Superman. Right. She's never had a second concurrent monthly. Um, you know, Flash, nope. Never had two titles at the same time. Green Lantern, oh, Okay, he's got like 50 of them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Martian, Martian Manhunter, no dice. He can't even keep one going. Sorry, Frank. And then you get Aquaman. And then, you know, if you keep going, if you go into Green Arrow and Hawkman and Adam and Black Canary and all, all the nobody, none of them. So you, you, my friend, are – it's probably all due to the Aquaman Shrine, honestly. You're in the big <laughs> yes, leagues now. clearly, clearly. Yeah, it is a remarkable turn of events. It really is. When I think about, you know, how long – not that long ago, you know, when I started the Shrine, Aquaman, like I've said before in the show – he was dead. He was literally dead. His body dispersed across the oceans. They, well, there wasn't even a corpse for people to, to – for, for Rayshak Gould to try and steal. So uh, it, is, it is amazing that just seven years later, or almost eight years later, that he is headlining two monthly titles. And like I said, that has never happened before. He's been in two series concurrently, but he's never headlined two books before. It's remarkable. Unbelievable. So, congratulations. I'm jealous. I don't even have one. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've fired some all over the place right now, as we'll get into. 
That's right. We're going to talk about that today. But first, we are going to go ahead and give a shout out to our sponsors, In Stock Trades. Folks, if you're not familiar with In Stock Trades, shame on you. They are um, your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 45% off, with free shipping up for orders of $50 or more. Uh, I'm going to go first this time. So we're covering Aquaman and the others, and one of the members of the others is Dr. Midnight. Uh, uh, he's been on the, t- oh wait, no, that's the operative. Okay. <laughs> but he looks just like Dr. Midnight. So I'm going to, I'm going to pin the Dr. Midnight trade paperback. This was a three issue series. Uh, I think it was prestige format. Oh, the beloved prestige format. <laughs> um, three issue series done by, written by Matt Wagner with art by John K. Schneider. Great stuff. It reintroduced Dr. Midnight to the world. It was a, you know, um, a modernization. It was not, uh, Charles McKnighter. It was a new guy. Peter, Peter Cross, and a great series. Got some trippy stuff in it because, you know, it's Matt Wagner. What do you expect? I love it. 160, 160 pages, full color. Normally retails for $14.99. You can get this puppy at 45% off for $8.24. That is a, that is a steal, my friends. You're practically robbing in stock trades with this thing. <laughs> um, yeah, my recommendation comes directly from nuclear sub Kyle Benning, who... Uh, in the wake of the uh, Digest Comics episode, mentioned that DC did, in fact, put out two new Digest books last year. I can't believe I didn't notice this. It would have been a perfect way to end the show. I, they, these two things completely escaped my, my – my, went under my radar. And they are two Superman Digests. One is called Superman Adventures, The Man of Steel. Uh, that's 128 pages uh, featuring stories by Mark Millar and other people and artists by Neil Vokes and others. And then the other one is – Superman, the Man of Steel, Believe uh, Digest, which is written by Jeff Parker and others, and artist Jim Lee and others, with a cover by Kevin Nolan. These are hundred. Each one of these books is 128 pages, digest format, square bound. Normal price for each is 9.99. In stock trades price, it's only 5.49 each. They're 45% off. I ordered them both as soon as Kyle put the links up, and I have them here in front of me uh, as I'm talking. I haven't read them all yet, but I cannot wait to get into them. I am so happy dc is doing these digests even they just did them for just the superman 75th anniversary i hope they do them this year for batman 75th anniversary i'm so so happy they're doing digests again so anybody who enjoyed the digest episode pick these up from in stock trades uh folks again instocktrades.com your best online source for trades hardcovers and other collected editions all for up to 45 percent off with free shipping for orders of 50 dollars or more so very cool well Obviously, folks, the big news this week is Aquaman and the others, number one, has hit the shelf. So that is going to be the first topic on the agenda. We've got, quite, we've got a pretty full agenda today. We're yep. going to cover Aquaman and the others. We're going to talk about uh, Firestorm, specifically kind of a uh, – you know, I was thinking of, Firestorm doesn't have a series, but he's everywhere right now. So sure I thought is. we'd do sort of a – what's that? I said he sure is. So I thought we'd do sort of a State of the Union address. So it's um, – I'm, I'm calling it the State of the Nuclear Union. <laughs> get that fusion I union? Get, huh? I got it's it. Pretty, yeah, I got it. It's pretty clever. Uh, we got a bunch of listener feedback to cover, so we got a full plate here, folks. So, Rob, with that, why don't you take it away? Okay. Uh, yeah. Super, super macro. This baby, because I just read it, and I, <laughs> as we all know, my reading comprehension is already pretty spotty. So, basically, the others, the others, Aquaman, the others, number one, written by, of course, Dan Jurgens, penciler by penciled by Lan Medina. Inker Alan Martinez and colors by Matt Milla. 
Um, one thing I will uh, I want to mention right off the bat on the splash page, it says Aquaman created by Paul Normus, the others created by Jeff Johns, Ivan Reese, and Joe Prado. Isn't that nice to see their names there in the uh, in the in the in the created by box? That's awesome. Qu- quick question: Is um, the penciler is his name Medina, or you said something different? I said Medina. Oh, see, I, okay, I just thought it was Medina. Okay, well, either okay, way, Medina, Medina, whatever. Um, basically, so this issue opens up with a flashback thousands of years ago with King Atlan talking about these uh, those uh, his armaments that he created, and so then we flash forward to the others again. Super macro. Basically, all these different groups of uniformed thugs try and steal. Try and they attack each member of the others, and they, each one of them find out that their artifacts that give them their power, based on these Alanian artifacts, don't work. They think the the prisoner of war finds out in the middle of the battle that his his little wristbandy things don't work. And you are, you, you are. Hey, it's prisoner of war, the breakout character of 2011. Yeah. Thank you very much. Show him a little more respect. Well, I'd say considering what she looks like, you are is the breakout character of 2000. Uh, wow. wow. So, so we follow each member of the others as they're attacked by these suited guys. They all, nobody knows what's going on. And then Aquaman, of course, shows up. And corrals all the team on the operatives' uh, floating little ship there, which he calls uh, – their meeting room is called the living room. Uh, <laughs> they've really got to come up with something more dynamic than that. Uh, <laughs> well, based on the end of this issue, they may not have to worry about it. <laughs> I guess not. So um, Aquaman talks about how – you know, they, they, well, first of all, there's some little tension between Yuara and him where um, he says, we, he says uh, you're, you're all targets. And uh, as long as you're targets, we need to find out who it is that's going after you. And Yawara says something like, so you do care about us. Interesting that Mira isn't around to hear that. And then the the, uh, the other character, the newest member of the others, what's her name? Sky? Yeah, Sky. Uh, Sky is like, what's going on? I don't understand all this tension. Like, we'll explain it later. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, we then cut over to uh, the super bad guy behind all this, who they call – they mention his name is Anton. I'm assuming that's going to be – Anton Arcane from Swamp Thing, because there's originally. What? I think so. I don't know, because I, I don't know. I could be wrong. There's originally <gasps> oh. going to be a team up between Aquaman and Swamp Thing. So anyway, they're on the live. They're on the operative's plane. Uh, a uh, a they get attacked, and the entire chunk of the wing of the operative's plane is blown off, and that's the last we see of them for the issue. Meanwhile, over in Iran, there is another. There is a woman in a hospital. She's being visited by her brother. And she gets attacked by these suited guys, and they carry her away for some reason we don't know. We see that she's having visions, and these visions seem to involve, I guess, uh, all our favorite superheroes turning into, like, the uh, – they look like they're, they're the Omax or yes. something at the end. And then it says, next, Nightmare at 40,000 Feet, find out more about Saya's, which is the name of the woman, I'm sorry, Saya's horrific vision at Future's End number zero. So a little plug there for the crossover. That, that's actually pretty much the cover of Future's End number zero. Oh, is it really? Right okay. There. Superman, yeah. Batman, and, and Wonder Woman and, as Omax? Yep. Okay. And her having the vision sort of makes sense because she's supposedly the sister of uh, Kahina, the previous person who had oh, Sky's right. okay. totem. Okay. She had Sky's totem, and she was sort of a vision person too. So it sort of makes sense that you know maybe it runs in the family or something. Hmm. Okay. That makes sense. First thoughts. Again, this is like I literally just read this for the first time a couple hours ago, so I'm still sort of trying to sort it all out of my head. Yeah, let's be let's be fair. Just so you know, folks, pulling back the curtain, 
we're recording on New Comic Book Day. Yeah. So you're going to hear this many days after recorded, but we were just so excited about it. We couldn't wait. We had to do it now. So we're going fresh. We're going a little raw. So forgive yeah. us. In my case, a lot raw. I will, I will, <laughs> I will admit the first, first page of the book after the cover by the boys, and I saw Atlan, my head fell a little. Because I just, I just don't – I am not – we've talked about this on the show before – I am not interested in the backstories or parentage of most superheroes. I, I, and I seem to be in the minority. You know, I sat through Man of Steel, and every time they had a scene with friggin' Jor-El, I'm like, I don't care. I want to see Superman doing Superman stuff. I don't care about his father issues. I, it don't, so it's like I don't understand modern writers and modern readers' seemingly endless – fascination with father figures for our, for our superheroes. Now, I know the others get their powers from the Atlantic artifacts, so you're going to be telling the story, but I, to me, it's like I want to see Aquaman doing Aquaman stuff in the present tense, not dealing with stories from a thousand years ago. That said, that only lasts a couple of pages, and then we cut into the... Well, actually, it only lasts one page. And then we cut into the others, and, you know, it's interesting is that Aquaman is not... I wasn't say I was worried about it, but I thought there's really very few precedents for this type of team other than Batman and the Outsiders. And wasn't – didn't Superboy have his own book? Super, his, Superboy and the Ravers. Superboy and the Ravers, yeah. <laughs> Tom, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. I was – again, I wasn't so much worried. I just thought it was – I was wondering whether Aquaman would dominate the book because he is the marquee character. And so far, I mean, again, we're just one issue in. But like he comes in in the middle of the book. And Jurgens gave a lot of room to the others, which I think is a good idea because you got to build them up because they're yep. still pretty unknown. I mean, they've really only been in a handful of comics at this point. So I thought it was good that he's establishing them as they're sort of going to be the stars of this book, I think, with Aquaman as sort of the backbone or the spine of it. Um, unlike the way I think Mike Barr did, did Batman and the Outsiders. I think the beginning of Batman and the Outsiders, it focused on more on Batman and then slowly shifted over to the to the Outsiders. I think we're doing the reverse here, which is fine, which is fine. Um, you know, I think these are interesting characters. I like that they have diverse ethnicities. I think that's just a valuable thing. It's not all just, you know, white guys. It's like a diverse team from all over the world. I think that's good. Um, and I am interested, you know, I like the idea of, you know, the classic, all the members are being attacked individually so that means it's some sort of conspiracy. So let's get everybody together to, to keep everybody safe and to build more as a team. So I was very happy about that. The artwork, I was okay with the artwork. I wasn't thrilled with it one way or the other. I think the figures are, are a bit on the stiff side. Um, but, you know, it was okay. Uh, and, I mean, I wasn't super, super thrilled with Paul Pelletier when he first took over Aquaman. And now I've gotten to be a much bigger fan. I think he's gotten a lot better very fast. So there's no reason to think that the team here won't get better as they go along. Um, this is a lot to throw at them, you know, early on. And there's some good gags. There's a, there's a, a joke Aquaman makes about Batman, which I thought was, which was, which was funny. Um, there's a point where there's this, uh, this, uh, golden gargoyle gets dumped in the ocean and they're like, uh, the uh, operative goes, can you recover the key? And Aquaman's like, seriously? That's like asking Batman if he can find a gargoyle. Like, okay, good. <laughs> Aquaman's not so serious all the time. I appreciate that. Uh, I like the, the bit about Sky not understanding the tension between Aquaman and Yawara. I think that's good. Um, 
She, she didn't even know about it, the Atlantis attacking. That was you know. a little hard to buy. I mean, good lord, she doesn't have the internet somewhere. I mean, you know, <laughs> you would think it'd be pretty big news that uh, that major American cities were attacked and submerged underwater. Um, but so, when there's an alien invasion every other week. You uh, know? That's true in the DC universe. That's just par for the course, I guess. Oh, red, <laughs> red skies. Oh, yeah, whatever. Red I, skies. <laughs> I, I, I think it was a a perfectly fine start. Was I blown away by it? I was not. But it's also not fair to expect to be "quote unquote" blown away by the first issue of any new comic book series. I think. Um, so, like I said, from a macro sense, I am so thrilled that Aquaman is the anchor of a second book. It is unbelievable that this book even exists. So <laughs> I am. That's true. I really am. I re- you know, got to take it. You got to really appreciate it. I am thrilled at this, and it'll be interesting to see. Have have Aquaman be, be doing it, having adventures that are different from what's going on in his regular book. So these these books ought to be a nice one two punch every month to, to give different views, different sides to this character. Well, I think I probably have a little more positive things to say. Um, well, that's not no, that's not fair to say. I think maybe I was a little more positive on the book. Maybe that's the way to put it. I was actually pretty excited by it. Um, like the the only sort of heart dropping moment I had was when I got to the splash page and said part one of five. That was the only thing that dropped my heart. I was like, oh really? Oh. But beyond that, I actually liked the art. I felt like it was a solid um, first you know effort for these guys. I you know I enjoy artwork. I thought they had good designs. I liked the way the characters interacted. I liked the action. So I was pleased with it. It reminded me honestly. It reminded me of like a. Um, like a Marvel comic in the early 2000s. I don't know why. I can't put my finger on it. I don't know if it's the coloring or the inking or whatever, but it reminded me of, like, the old Avengers and Thunderbolts and stuff I used to read. Don't know why. I had that good feeling. I I, I like it as a first kickoff story. I really like that, actually, because it gave you a mystery, and as you said, it brought the team together. But it was a very good launching point. It's like there's a a mystery. It brings all the characters together. Suddenly they're all in danger. The plane explodes. And it's like, okay, this is cool. I'm really digging this. Now, I th- think the first page, I think there's more to it than you, than may have been obvious. Um, you know, Atlan is there, right? And he wants the objects. Uh, or he wants that gold, whatever the gold is. But if you go forward to the, the scene with, um, what's that guy's name? Um, An- An- Arcane, you thought it was Anton? Anton, yeah. He's talking to sort of a, a disembodied voice. And the disembodied voice He's talking about oh the youth is wasted on the uh, youth is wasted on the young. He's talking about uh, rightful power and all this stuff. I think the disembodied voice is Atlan. Okay. So that's why I think that first scene's so important. So while yes, it did take place in the past, it is connected to a modern day event, meaning Atlan. I think that's what's going on. Okay, I'm not saying it's not important. I'm just saying I don't. I just don't want to keep seeing stories of superheroes' fathers. I feel like that's a that's a gotcha. okay. ongoing thing that we are fa- we are utterly fascinated with the roots of superheroes. And and I'm just on my own personal preference. I don't I don't care about Thomas Wayne. I don't care about Jor-El. I don't care about Pa Kent. I don't care about Atlan. I don't care about Tom Curry. I want to see the heroes be front and center and going forward, not constantly looking back. You know, it's interesting. I didn't think about it. It's sort of like Disney princess syndrome. Where, you know, it's the story's always tied up between the princess and her father is usually where the story comes from. Yeah, and, and you make a good you make you make a good point though, because I mean think about when Flash got redesigned, you know, a lot of it had to do with his mother's murder and his father. Green Lantern focused a lot on his dad. There's a lot of that. Yeah. 
I hadn't thought about we, that. We are just in an era where, and it happens in movies too. I mean, like like when they remade Halloween a couple of years ago, and Rob Zombie remade Halloween. Like it's the backstory of Michael Myers of how he became Michael Myers. I'm like, why do I want to see that? Why do I care? Yeah. He's a remorseless killer. That's your story. What I do? What, what do I? You know. And same thing about like. I mean, I, I know I beat up on these, but like the prequels, Darth Vader was a, as a child. Why do I care yeah. about that? Why do I want to see Darth Vader with the laser sword killing people? You know, to, to, to quote <laughs> laser sword. I'm quoting. I'm quoting Patton, Patton Oswalt. Okay. Um, so, and I'm just acknowledging that that is. I'm clearly in the minority of the mainstream of comics reading, which I already knew anyway. But it's like that's just. It's just a focus that a lot of modern fans have that I just don't share. It's not right or wrong. I'm not saying my opinion is better or different or better or, or more profound. It's just a, it's just a different feeling. That's all. Yeah. Um, as I'm flipping through here, a couple more things about the art. Uh, I, I really like the designs for like the commandos. And I like that when Anton's in that room, it shows all the different ar- armors. I think those look really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some really nice cheesecake shots of Yorwara. You can't help uh, really it. Nice, you know, really nice butt yeah. shot. I mean, she's just made for it. So. I like her frolicking uh, with the monkey. thought that was cute. Yeah, that's pretty sexy. I just got to say, folks, she's hot. Sorry. It's out there. Um, yeah, I thought it was kind of funny. When they're on they're on the, or I guess in the living room, is the way to put it. When they're in the living room, her cat is there with her. Yes. Like, what if it has to go to the restroom or something? Like, a giant panther on an airplane doesn't strike me as a great idea. Some sort of litter box <laughs> somewhere or something like that. Right, exactly. So here's what I don't know whether this was just an Easter egg put in here by the artists or whether Dan directed him to do it. But if go to the page with the living room, where they're all sitting around the table. Right. Okay? And on the second panel where they're on their table, take a look in the back left hand corner there. There is the Vostok helmet right. under glass, right. which I was that was actually going to be one of my questions for you today was where's Vostok's helmet? Because I don't remember where it ended up. Clearly, now we know. Then there's a shield. Mm-hmm. Is there a, is there another, you know, whatever these little tools are called? Is there another one of these tools that uh, are Adlan's gadgets that we don't know about? Maybe. Maybe I don't know. I you know I saw it there when I looked, but it didn't really. It, there's lots of bric-a-brac in here, so I didn't necessarily think True. that that was something particularly Atlantean. But since it's sitting next to the Vostok's helmet, maybe so. I don't know. That'd be pretty cool because, I mean, they, they, they have opportunities here to expand the team some anyway because they got Vostok's helmet there. And, you know, for some reason, the predecessor, your um, Kahina's sister, is involved to some extent yes. now. So, I mean, they, they might be able to expand the team some. It'd be interesting. I don't know. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, uh, I would like to see maybe uh, Aquaman train his operatives uh, literally in some cases not to, like, kill so easily. Like, the operative just kills people left and right. He cracks. He turns a guy's head around. Uh, a couple of pages earlier, and you know, again, I'm not a huge fan of like superheroes that just kill indiscriminately, and that's kind of really indiscriminately killing people. But uh, you know, again, that's something else that uh, it's, it's superheroes just kind of do nowadays. Well, to be fair, I don't consider the operative a superhero. Well, I'd say he's a super spy. Okay, but I don't think in any way is he a superhero. Well, but he's one of the heroes of the book, though. He's a protagonist of the book. Yes. Okay, all right, maybe But so. I don't necessarily consider him a hero. Uh, um, he's not very cooperative, usually. <laughs> I, I will say one thing that I, I am shocked about, that I totally thought, thought I had nailed uh, when the others first appeared, was the operative was going to die. I was sure of it. And his grandson was going to step in and right, become right, the operative. Yeah. I mean, it just seems so 
obvious, and, and it's, it's here he is still hanging on, and it's like, okay, now I want him to live, and I want to find out what's going to go on with the grandson. I, I almost like him being the support character. He's so. just snapper-carring it up in the background there. So. He, he is. He, yeah, and, and Mackin on Sky. Yeah, good for him. Yeah, hey, so. can't blame him. Yeah. So I enjoyed it. I, I'm very pleased with it. I'm, I'm very excited the price is only $2.99. Um, I, I, I didn't dropped, even notice that. Yeah, that is nice. Yeah. <laughs> I dropped one of my favorite books recently. Uh, a few of you know, J. David Weider knows. Uh, I dropped one of my favorite books recently because they upped the price to three ninety nine and didn't, for no reason other than they relaunched it at number one. They didn't give us any more pages. They didn't do anything but up the price a buck. And I mm. said, it's same creative team and everything. I said, all right, sorry, I'm out. So instead, I'll just wait till it's on in stock trades and I'll buy the trade for forty five percent off. How's that? <laughs> so anyway, I enjoyed it. Happy with it. Looking forward to it. Hey, at the very least, DC's committed to five issues of it. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I am thrilled that this series exists. I really, really am. It did. My feelings about the series are not necessarily connected to any one individual issue. I, I cannot believe there's a second Aquaman, Aquaman in title, and I cannot believe that Aquaman has been uh, preeminent in three different books in three successive weeks at DC Comics. That is amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. It's incredible. Oh man, I wonder if they'll do crossovers. You, I, I, I guess if it lasts a long time, that's bound to happen. Yeah, I'll be watching the sales figures. So it'll be interesting to see whether if everyone who buys Aquaman just buys this too or whether there's a – I mean there's going to be some drop-off, but it'll be interesting to see how much of Aquaman's uh, – the book's audience sticks with – goes with this too. I imagine it's going to be significantly less. However, Aquaman's high, numbers are so high that a significantly less sales might still be a good thing. Mm-hmm. You know, might still sell better than, you know, Firestorm did or, or, or Amethyst or O-Mac. any of the other. OMAC. Well, that's just, <laughs> that's, just, that's just shooting fish in a barrel right there. But, uh, you know, any other type. Be careful, though. And folks, one of the things that we joked about, um, you know, they, they just brought, they just announced the Forever People and Infinity Man are getting in their own series with the same creative team of OMAC, which just, I lost it. It was so funny to me that they're doing that. So, a power to them. I bet they're going to be a lot of fun to read all four issues of it. Um, oh. But, all right, seven. Fine. All seven all issues. All right, all right. <laughs> all right. Let's close it out. Uh, um, good comic. You going to buy next month? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I will buy every <laughs> – I will be buying every single issue of Aquaman and the others in perpetuity. <laughs> so what happens when it goes to the Baxter series and Aquaman leaves the book and it's just called The Others? And then I will not be buying it. <laughs> You'll, but you'll pick up the concurrent book, Tales of Tales Aquaman of the Others. The others. Yeah, yeah. Now, yeah, no, if, if, if all of a sudden Aquaman's like, I'm done with this team, and he's replaced by uh, Green Lantern, I'm not buying this book. <laughs> like, really? Not even for Man of War? Uh, no. I, 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 I like the Others, but I like it's because it's, it's Aquaman. <laughs> interesting. interesting. That's, a, that's a very interesting perspective. So Okay. All right, folks. Uh, thank you for that, Rob. Uh, very exciting stuff. And thank you for that, Mr. Jurgens. Really enjoyed yes, it. Yes, absolutely. All right. Now, uh, for the state of the nuclear union address. Um, just wanted to talk a little bit about Firestorm and the fact that he is everywhere right now, and yet he doesn't have a monthly series. It's very odd. I don't know whether it's all sort of been coincidental or maybe not so much coincidental, but just sort of naturally progressed this way, or whether DC had a plan to keep Firestorm in the spotlight once his monthly book got canceled. But here's sort of the rundown. It's been 10 months now since the final issue of Fury of the Firestorm shipped, number 20. At that point, you know, I was heartbroken. I was devastated. It was sort of like, you know, I, I was just felt like that was it. No more Firestorm in the New 52. We're just not going to see him anymore. Well, 
very quickly he turned up in the Justice League, which is arguably DC's flagship title. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, some people would say it's all 14 Batman titles, but whatever. <laughs> I know it's really 25 of Batman titles, but um, and there, you know, there you have Firestorm in the book, not playing a major role, but he, he's a character. He's a supporting character. He gets his moments, and you've got Jeff Johns writing it, and you got the boys drawing it. I mean, that, that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Firestorm was right there. Then months keep rolling. Trinity War comes around, and Firestorm becomes – he's a player in that. He's not, again, not the headliner, but he's there. He has a key role, the ability to create a kryptonite. That's a big deal. So he gets, he gets some attention there. Then, wham, forever evil hits, and holy crap, this is when Firestorm just blossomed everywhere at this point. Because, well, he's not – I have to be careful. I don't want to spoil forever evil, so I'm going to say, say this sort of carefully for you guys who aren't reading it. He is not a lead character in Forever Evil. However, he is extremely important to the story. In fact, I would go as far as to say he's critical to the plot and has been featured in several issues and gets talked about a lot. That's about all I can say. But there you have Jeff Johns again. You've got David Finch drawing. He's no slouch. So Firestorm's getting some really nice attention there. That has bled into other books. Justice League of America has been talking about Firestorm quite a bit, and he's made some appearances in there as Forever Evil tie-ins. Then you go into sort of Firestorm supporting characters. You look at Killer Frost when they did Villains Month. Mm-hmm. Uh, you remember she had her own issue uh-huh. written by written by Sterling Gates she, in place of a Justice League of America comic. Now she's crossed over, and now she is a essentially a lead character in the Argus miniseries that Forever Evil's in, as well as Professor Martin Stein. Then in Forever Evil itself, you've also got, I forgot to mention, you've got Deathstorm, Firestorm's equal opposite member, and you've got the Firestorm rogues popping up here and there. So, literally, he's everywhere. Everywhere you turn, you can't not bump into him. Again, it's very strange. From the merchandising point of view, the Deathstorm action figure from Forever Evil just came out this week. You've got Mattel's releasing a new Firestorm action figure this fall, which is brilliant. And on the horizon... Justice League 3000, a new series by Giffen and Demetrius. I think I got it right. And Howard Porter, Firestorm's joining Justice League 3000. He's about to be one of the lead characters in DC, one of DC's premier books this year. They're, they're, they're once a week book this year that they're making a big deal about. It's called Future's End, the new 52 Future's End. Firestorm's one of the lead characters in it. So I don't know exactly how much he's going to be in the series, but he's one of four named characters that's kicking off the series. It's a year long, 52 weeks. Um, takes place five years in the future. I know Plastique makes an appearance in it as well. And, and you know, the headliners on that are Dan Jurgens, Jeff Lemire, uh, Keith Giffen, Brian Azzarello, Ethan Van Skyver is associated with it too, lots and lots of other people. So I'm just I'm, I'm curious if this was a coordinated effort to keep Firestorm in the limelight or whether it just sort of organically happened. But it's a very exciting time to be a Firestorm fan. Sure, it would be more exciting if we had our own series, but it, failing that, I mean – Think about poor Booster Gold. You know, Booster Gold was headlining Justice League International, right? Now, poof, gone. Nowhere. At all. Just he's vanished. Um, Which is how it used Beetle- to be. That used to be. That, that, that's how it used to be when a character's book got canceled. They were gone for a while because yeah. DC or Marvel thought, you know, fans need a break from them. So let's let them, you know, nobody use them for six months to a year. And that's not happened with Firestorm at all. Yeah, and, and if you could squeeze into a Justice League book after your book got canceled, like Booster did and Blue Beetle, you know, that kind of helped you out, but you weren't everywhere. You know, you, you survived in that book for a while. Like, actually, that's enough. Blue Beetle, is he anywhere? 
Is Jaime Re- Reyes anywhere right now? Yeah, I don't think so. I don't know. I think he's vanished, too, with his series cancellation. So um, I'm excited. I'm thrilled. As I said, I just wanted to kind of give an overview of where Firestorm is, what's going on in his life, what's going on in that direction. If you're not getting Justice League 3000, folks, I highly recommend it. It's a lot of fun. Uh, it's looking like my theory from a couple months ago about uh, them being Legion of Superheroes uh, people. Probably not accurate based on what we just learned um, in the most recent issue, but damn, it's a fun comic. I really enjoy it, and I'm going to keep at it, even though it's, you know, I, at first, when I first read the solicit, I was like, this is not for me. Oh, it's totally for me. It's so much fun. In terms of the state of Firestorm, did you mention about the Firestorm characters in live action? I don't think you mentioned that. Oh, jeez, thank you so much. I completely forgot about that. Yes. You know, Felicity Smoke is a, a very popular, very long-standing character on the TV show Arrow. She originated from Firestorm. That was some serious, either Wikipedia diving or there's a Firestorm fan who writes for the show that picked her to, to tapped her to be the computer expert on the show because it was it's kind of a minor supporting character in the Firestorm mythos. So I was shocked to find out when she joined the show. Now you've got uh, the Flash spinoff starting very soon, and one of the main characters, or at least supporting characters, is Caitlin Snow, the secret identity of Killer Frost. Oh, I didn't even mention Killer Frost was in uh, the Injustice video game that's still, my 14-year-old's still playing that and talking about it. I mean, big stuff. So, yeah, good points. Supporting characters making their way into live action. I, I uh, think the I think the introduction of Killer Frost into, or the, the the alter ego of Killer Frost into the Flash TV show, is that is taking a giant step closer to there being a live action Firestorm. Um... He won't look like I, how I lo- he looks. I, lo- I, I love that idea. He won't look like how he looks in the comic because they won't do that. But I, 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 to me, it's like why else use that villain unless you're going to start tipping? I mean, Arrow begot Flash, and now they're bringing in other villains into Flash. So to me, it seems like the plan is just keep spinning characters out of other series. Tell you what, I'll just leave it at this. Uh, a very nice man named uh, Andy hosts a podcast called The Flash Podcast, and it's all about, about the Flash TV show um, series coming out from the CW. I guest starred on his podcast. I recorded with him just the other night. I'm not sure when the episode goes up, so it may not be up just yet. But check out Flash Podcast. Uh, he and I talk about this very issue okay. about what does it mean for Kill- for Caitlin Snow to be on Flash. And I think it's there's a different reason she's on the show. But okay. anyway, so I'll leave it at that. Um with that, I think you know. I tell you what, Rob. Why don't we? Uh, why don't we go to break, and then when we come back, we will tackle your feedback, folks. Wow, I'm really glad I decided to pony up and take my wife to Italy for her birthday. The food, the sights, the atmosphere—it's all just so perfect. <sighs> Too bad I had to ask if there was a comic book shop located at the Vatican. Uh, maybe it wasn't the brightest thing to do on her birthday, but. Granted, I'm certain I've done things way more foolish than that. Good afternoon. Gah! Where did you come from, and who the heck are you? My name is Dufo de Manzo, and where I come from is none of your concern. What is of your concern is that I have an offer to make of you. An offer that you should not refuse. Uh, okay. What is it? I have listened to your podcast. And it just so happens that I am in the podcasting business myself. Someday I will ask a favor of you, one that I hope you will repay to me in good faith. When you do so, you will become a part of my family. 
and your show will prosper along with it. Oh, that sounds great. What do I need to do? You will know when the time is right. Until then, I wish you and your lovely wife the happiest of times in my fair country. Uh, oh, okay, cool. Some time has passed. And that does it for another episode of Just One of the Guys. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and I'll catch you all next week. Bravo. Bravo. God! Bravo. How, how the hell did you find me? And how, how did you get in my house? Do not worry yourself with such trivial matters. I have seen your work with this podcast, and I have come to accept the favor that is owed to me. Uh, but you never said what you wanted from me. That is true, so let me restate it now. Wait, what? I have started up a brand new podcasting venture entitled Two True Freaks. I am setting them up with their own website, twotruefreaks.com. And I am gathering a podcast such as yours that have gained my favor to become a part of the Two True Freaks podcast network. I will do the honor of putting the Just One of the Guys on the Two True Freaks network. And in return, our debt will be settled. Oh, okay. Hey, wait, what debt? Do you accept my offer? Uh, sure. I mean, does this mean I'll get paid for the show finally? No. Oh, okay. Well, does it mean I'll get some cannoli? Of course. The DiManzo family originated cannoli. In fact, we are known the world over for our stuffing of creamy fillings in the tubes. Come check out Just One of the Guys every Friday at twotruefreaks.com. Have you been guards today? The Guard Podcast hopefully offers something different in a world where anyone can produce their own podcast. There are any number of such shows where two guys sit and talk about their favorite things, countless ones in the geek world, but the GAR podcast is slightly different. Birthed from the stream of consciousness conversations between old friends Ray Cornwall and Glenn Walker at dinners and over the phone, the GAR, G-A-R, which stands for Glenn and Ray, podcast is unrehearsed and completely off the cuff, as such conversations between friends would be. Produced on a weekly basis, the intent was originally to talk about the pair's mutual love of comic books, but usually branches off into other areas. Sometimes comics aren't even mentioned at all, and while frequently the topics of Jack Kirby and the Fantastic Four, or Brian Michael Bendis and the Avengers pop up, the topics also tend to spin off quite esoterically into professional wrestling, French fries, Breaking Bad, and the Arners formerly known and currently known as Prince. Sometimes they'll even have a guest or two join in on the fun. Listen and you'll hear the two talk of comics, music, books, film, games, sports, and television, and whatever else is on their minds at that moment. Welcome to the GAR Podcast. The GAR Podcast can be found on iTunes, on Stitcher, and at its own website, www.garpodcast.com. All right, folks, we're back from break, and now it's time for... Listeners Feedback! And we're going to cover your feedback from the last few episodes. But first, folks, I got to come clean. I'm, I'm a little embarrassed. Uh, on one of our previous episodes, I was talking about Sebastian Bach from Skid Row and uh, him on Instagram. 
And I obviously had comic books on the brain at the time because I said Sebastian Shaw several times. Rob, you even called me on it. You said, isn't he in the Hellfire Club? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I officially uh, – I have to hand in my headbanger card, I think, and uh, I'm a little embarrassed. But just want to put that out there. Sorry about that, folks. Did you ever have one of those? Have you not seen the pictures of me of my long hair? Uh, I don't know if I have. Oh, my, my uh, gosh. Oh, and I have something to look forward to. Okay, cool. There you go. I, <laughs> yeah, I was very – I was big-time headbanger. All right. Uh, uh, first email from Jose Riviera. This is his first email to our show. Oh, he's an old buddy of mine through the social networking. He and I did a Doctor Who podcast together, uh, gosh, a billion years ago, I think when the internet started. Uh, Al Gore was sitting there with us. So anyway, he writes in, hey, guys, this is my first email to the show. When it comes to Firestorm and Aquaman, I've always thought of them as cousins. Cousins, you say? Let me explain. Lots of people have those relatives they don't always see, but they're happy to see them when they visit. For me, that's my cousins. When they visit, I'm always excited to see them and spend time with them. That's how I feel about Firestorm and Aquaman. I don't always follow their adventures, but when they show up in a book, I think, hell yes. Can't wait to see what they bring to the table. Although I've only recently started going through episodes of your podcast, I've been aware of it for some time. When I got my Aquaman minifigure from Lego, I knew the moment I saw a Firestorm custom minifig on eBay that I had to get it and take a picture of the two of them together and send it your way. Yes, we did see that, and we absolutely love it. And, oh, wait, we hate you for it. I'm sorry. That's what I meant to say, bastard. Um, I've wanted one of those little Firestorm uh, Lego figures for a while. I just haven't got around to it. Horribly jealous. So one of my favorite episodes so far has been the episode where you guys talked about the Aquaman pilot. I really liked it. I remember buying it on iTunes when it came out, and I remember getting annoyed that it didn't get picked up. There was a lot of potential there, too. Dude, you're, you're singing to the choir here. I love me some Mercy Reef, so I am very unhappy it didn't make it. Uh, yeah, he, uh, he sent us another email about the Digest episode. He said, let me, see, let, me, let me say how much I love the Digest show. Rob and Michael brought back so many memories of those things that I couldn't help but take a look on eBay. Man, that episode, really, we really spurred the economy. Uh, You're welcome. (laughs) You're welcome, President Obama. He says, uh, I remember the first one I got, too. It was in 1994, and I was 11 at the time. My family went to Florida to visit a relative, and they took us to this outdoor flea market. One of the tables had comics, and while they had some pretty cool stuff, what stuck out the most to me was the DC Digest of Superboy. I remember the yellow cover and begged my mom to get it for me. I got it, and I must have read the ever-loving hell out of that thing for the next few years. (laughs) I was heavily into Superboy at the time, so getting to read old adventures really just blew my mind. One of them had Superboy meeting a young Arthur Curry. I always liked liked that story. Funny enough, I still have that digest. The cover is a little worn, but 20 years later, I still have it. Jose (laughs) Rivera. That's awesome. I love that. I love those kinds of stories where somebody has a comic from that long ago, and they hold on to it just because they love it, not because it's valuable or anything like that. Very cool. Well, thank you for writing in, Jose, and thank you for checking out the podcast. We've actually got quite a few emails from new listeners, so this is great. Love to hear from folks, including Jamie Thayer, another new listener. He said, I've just started listening to the Fire and Water podcast, but I've been reading Aquaman since the start and think you both do a great job. The new 52 creative staff have made Aquaman, Ocean Master, Black Manta, and, of course, Mara, some of my favorite characters and one of my favorite books. Uh, I've I've never been a Firestorm fan, but still listen to your section and do enjoy them. Wow, I was sort of like <laughs> ringing endorsement there. Thanks, Jamie. <laughs> um, he asks, do you think Black Man will reappear after Forever Evil and Aquaman, Aquaman and the others, or will Suicide Squad issue number 30 put him on another path? No way in hell. No way in hell is they're putting him on another path. There is no way in hell they're not going to bring Black Man back. He is the Joker of Aqua. He is the, uh, the Joker to Aquaman's Batman, so there's no way he's not coming back. Well, you know he's in Suicide Squad number 30, right? Yes. 
Okay. All right. I'm yeah. just saying it doesn't. I don't even care what happens in that book. I don't care if at the end of the book he's like, "I forswear villainy from here on in," and then you know it doesn't matter. He will be back. He is too no, good he, a villain not to use. Yeah, and he and he. I like him as he be. He's like Aquaman's irredeemable villain. Yeah. Whereas, and I don't mean that. No pun intended. Whereas Ocean Master is sort of you know ambiguously. Yeah, possibly redeemable, at least in the new 52. Uh, and he goes on to ask other, he asked lots of cool questions, but one of them is, will Orm fight with or against Aquaman this time? Talking about the big seven kingdoms crossover coming up in JLA, or Justice League. If he joined Aquaman, it would give room for Aquaman to return to the surface world if both Orm, Orm and him ruled the kingdom. I, I thought that was very clever. Yeah, I can't think you could trust Orm to run Atlantis again, but uh, but yeah, anything that would maybe give Aquaman some free time from running Atlantis, I'd be perfectly happy with. Although I will say, so far, Jeff Parker's been doing a good job at that. He's been busy fighting monsters while Mira's doing the Atlantean stuff, which is which is okay for now. Well, I don't know. DC kind of likes taking that Marvel approach nowadays, where like the the public questions heroes' motives. So yeah. and so that would work well if if Aquaman felt. He had no other choice than to put Orm back on the throne, and then all the surface world's like, "Whoa, Aquaman, we don't trust you anymore." It just it would sort of play into their strengths of what they do nowadays. But yeah, maybe anyway. have another chance to choke Batman. That would be good. <laughs> Thank you, Jamie, for your email. Much appreciate it. Uh, we got another email from a new listener, Ned Leffingwell, and he writes uh, regarding episode eighty. I am a new listener, and I've been enjoying the podcast. I consider myself a general DC Universe fan, and I never knew that I would enjoy listening to a podcast about Farsam and Aquaman. <laughs> Most people said that. <laughs> Keep up the good work. In episode 80, you mentioned that you have not had an interest in the Arrow TV show. I will not deny that the acting can be cheesy. However, the show has done an excellent job in creating a DC Universe that our fans will recognize and newbies can enjoy. Okay, I'm going to mention this because I got a bunch of – well, both Chag and I got grief – the last feedback episode that we don't watch. Just a, just a bit. <laughs> just a bit. That we don't watch Arrow. So I don't want anybody to say that I do not put effort into this show because following the roasting we got via feedback, I started watching Arrow. And I watched the first nine episodes of Season Arrow. one or season two? Season one. It's, yeah. on, it's on Netflix. So I started watching, starting yeah. it from the beginning. Okay. I understand why people like it. I just don't like it. <laughs> I like Stephen Amell as Arrow. The rest of the characters could fall off a cliff and die for as much as I I do not care. And that is really making it hard for me to keep going with the show because so much of it is about the other characters. I do not care about any of them. Speedy, the guy with the British accent for no good reason, the (laughs) duplicitous mom, the douchebag best friend. I don't care about any of these. Like the Huntress, they bring Huntress in. I thought that was interesting. So I don't think it's a bad show. It's just it's just not grabbing me. And for me to keep watching it, it's work. It's going to have to be effort. And now that it's baseball season, I don't see myself watching Arrow too much. So I want everybody to know, though, I did give it a try. I honestly did give it a try. And I will give The Flash Show a try uh, when that mm. starts. And I will give The uh, Little Batman Adventures show a try. <laughs> not uh, sure that's what it's called. Uh, it, it might as well be called that. Um, I will give that a try too. So, you know, I will say I did take everybody's criticism seriously and I did give Arrow its due diligence. Now I have watched several episodes of Arrow with my family and and that's when I checked out with the same thing as Rob watching it on Netflix, uh, had a hard time. I do really like the actor who who plays, uh, water, the girl's dad. I like the cop because he was also, um, oh geez, what was that series? Uh, ah, I'm blanking. 
Wizard at Large. It's a series of books. Uh, Dresden. Jeez, I blanked. Uh, he played Dresden in the Dresden Files. So I really dig him. But I, it's just, the, the acting in the show is just so over the top. However, here's my commitment to y'all. I'm going to give this second season a try. Once I can get my hands on, a, on I don't know, Netflix or whatever, I, I don't really want to pay $2 an episode on Amazon. Um, but if I have to, maybe I will. But second season, everyone says it's much better. I've seen some of the trailers for the second season. It looks really damn good. So I will try the second season. So that's my commitment to you. Okay. That's how much I love you, Pete. Fair enough. Thank you for your email, Ned. Ned goes on to talk about a lot more characters that appear in the show, and he's got a real passion for it. Uh, so thank you, Ned, for your email. We really appreciate it. And thanks for listening. So. We heard from Tim Wallace. This is great. I love this. <clears throat> Here we go. Tim Wallace wrote, I like the listener feedback shows, and with each show, my likeness grows. Robin Shag, I like Who's Who, Power Records, Hero Points, and Geek Talk 2. Issue recaps and commentaries, great. With every weekend, I just can't wait to check iTunes and both sites, too. I like this podcast. Yes, I do. And so ends my Susie chatter. Did you like it? Does it matter? I know now what I must do to hear my name read loud by you. And it's not just some mindless prattle. I know I'm a nuclear sub, and Shag likes knowing that knowing's half the battle. (laughs) Tim Wallace, a.k.a. Etrigan the Demon. No, it's like... Well, I, I imagine when he wrote this, it was – don't you remember Dr. Seuss like, had a birthday yes. and it was a yes. big celebration? Okay, yes. yeah. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant, Tim. Yes, Tim knows exactly how to push my buttons. He, he has learned the co- – he has broken the code, folks. <laughs> well done, sir. Well done. Well done. Uh, in fact, you know what? I may just do this without your approval. I think that deserves a yellow dot award. Okay, that's it. good. I'll go with that. All right. No, wait, that's a Who's Who award. No, whoops, wrong show. Yellow that Dot is Who's Who. He does not deserve a Who's Who award. That's ridiculous. He, he deserves a Steam award for Steam that. Award. Uh, Steam award. There you go. Congratulations. You've earned a Steam award. Um, don't get too close. It could, it could burn you. So, um, Then we got an email from um, Yukonori Zum. Maybe. I hope that's right. So uh, he wrote in, uh, we had talked about him recently because he was a new listener who was giving the show a try. He said, if you'll indulge me for a moment, I've been the regular artist for The Line is Drawn a feature of the Comics Should Be Good blog on comic book resources. It's essentially a weekly sketch challenge where myself and a dozen other artists create illustrations around a particular theme based on suggestions that are submitted to the blog via Twitter. For example, one theme involved creating a sidekick for a comic book hero who had never had one before. And Twitterers, I didn't know that was a word, but Twitterers would suggest a sidekick for Our Man or Kid Lantern or something like that. And we take it from there. Uh, A Facebook friend saw my Kid Lantern piece and suggested that I check out a certain show of yours. Take a look here, and you'll need to scroll down a bit, and you'll guess which one. Sure enough, if you go out of the, uh, went out of the site, and if we can remember, we'll post a link on uh, the Tumblr. But it was uh, it's this really cool drawing you did of Kid Lantern in a Who's Who format. So really cool, very slick. So anyway, uh, on, on this this series they do, he said, received over 100 suggestions on most weeks. Some themes inspire many more, but there's usually just one that really, one or two that really stokes my creative fires that drive each weekly submission. I want, on a few occasions, those suggestions involved Aquaman, which I love to read in the 70s, and is, uh, one, of the, and is one of the better New 52 books out there. Rob, and he gave the, suge- the submissions for Rob. Those are pretty fun. There, there's, a, there's a fun one about snorks, and there's another sort of Halloween-based one. It's really good. I like it. And, and and like what Negative Steve said about Firestorm fans, Firestorm suggestions on the line have been far and few and far between, and not all that interesting, which is a shame since he's also one of my favorite DC characters. It wasn't until my 97th week on the line that I read a Firestorm suggestion that was worth executing. 
executing. Uh, and then he gave me the link to that one too. So, um, again, we'll, hopefully we'll put these links out there. They're fun stuff. I like the artwork. It says, I hope you enjoy both at least as half as much as I enjoy your podcast. May your, inter- may your enthusiasm never wane. And thank you again for making my car trips through Tokyo traffic much more interesting. <laughs> How fun is that? <laughs> Imagine hearing our stupid voices in Tokyo. How weird is that? I know. It's insane. So thank you for listening. That's awesome, man. I, I'm genuinely flattered. There's a lot of uh, good artwork in that comics, uh, in, that, in that column. Uh, that is almost part of it. My buddy John Trumbull does artwork for it too. Comics. Mm. So there's a lot of really good. The suggestions are fun, and there's some really sharp artwork on there too. That Aquaman Snorks one cracked my ass up. So uh, heard from our buddy Roger Preeb. He uh, we mentioned him on a previous episode where he did a, a very lengthy video interview with Jerry Conway. And uh, the website for that, folks, because I promised at the time we'd share it and we didn't, is offtherecorddvd.com. You can go out there and uh, you can – the website's still sort of a work in progress, but you can buy signed and unsigned copies of the DVD there. And we all love Jerry Conway, St. Conway, um, around okay. my house. But anyway, heard from Luke Giaconetti. He's talking about this new Firestorm action figure coming up. I really do dig that Total Heroes Firestorm figure, even though I'm not a, a big buyer of DCU toys nor Firestorm in general. But it espouses a lot of the same collector-aimed design aspects, which I really appreciate, and some of the Japanese toys I follow. The head swaps, hand swaps, the extra, extra accessories like floating Professor Steinhead. All tie these figures, uh, I'm sorry, all tie these sort of figures thematically with, I'm going to slaughter all this, just fair warning, Tamashi Nations, lines of SH Fig Arts, uh, D Arts, and Ultra Act. Uh, these are all different lines of action figures. And what I am skipping, for your own benefit at home, is about, I don't know, 18, 19 paragraphs of naming all the Super Sentai characters that appeared in this stuff. Because Luke's really into that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, please, all kidding aside, go out to Firestorm Fan, read his comment on the episode 81. You can actually see all these, and uh, it's all very legitimate, good stuff. But I just like to pick on Luke, because he's a really easy target. So, it says, now, admittedly, you're going to... I need because now I know you're going to pay for those features, but if you're a toy collector, I think it's better to pay a bit more for your figure and have it be more, much more dynamic in how you can pose it and customize it and how you display it better, more than a regular re- retail toy. Having a collector aim figure, which is pricier as a, uh, as a mass market figure, which is cheaper, is a better solution. Having both available means that, for example, daddy or mommy can have, quote-unquote, their Firestorm on their shelf by their desk. <laughs> really? Mommy's going to have a Firestorm figure? Yeah, uh, <laughs> parallel universe is that happening? <laughs> have our, uh, their Firestorm figure on a shelf by their desk, which the kids, and then the kids can play with their kid-friendly Firestorm <laughs> in the playroom. I have this very situation going on in my house right now. For instance, my boys have a play school Hawkman toy that they play with, along with many other Justice League and Avengers and Doctor Doom for good measure. But Daddy has his Hawkman on his shelf upstairs. Great point. That's like a, uh, you know, when, they, when the Brave and the Bold line produced an Aquaman action figure. I'm sorry, Firestorm action figure. Very good toy for kids to play with. Because I bought one of the DC uh, direct Firestorm figures for my stepson, and he busted that in like a week. <laughs> so the, uh, but the Brave and the Bold ones are a lot sturdier. So good, good points, um, Luke. You make, you make good points. All right. We got an email from Siskoid uh, on Firestorm Fan regarding my pick of the losers as the in-stock trades uh, for that episode. Great pick, Rob. I have that short omnibus and love it. It's Kirby's 70s idea of war comics, so it mixes in everything comic book related ever. Super Sons, great pick too, Shag. Bob Haney is the king of odd teen speak. He deserves, <laughs> he deserves his own podcast series. 
I can only imagine a podcast with Bob Haney. It's like every week it, it airs on different days. It's we, we refer to episodes that never happened before. I mean, it's just like we probably won't even follow the numbering. You know, it's like this is episode seventeen. Next week, episode one thousand. You know, <laughs> it, none of it would matter, but it would be compelling nonetheless. So. Without a doubt. Uh, we heard from our buddy Sean Corey. He said, hey, guys, another fun listener feedback episode. Keep up the great work. Always a fun listen. Now, we gave Sean some hell uh, an episode or two ago about his age, saying we're older than him and because he threatened to pull our geek card and all this stuff. Well, he then was kind enough to go out there and talk about uh, comparing ages and shared his exact birth date as well as his social security number and blood type. So if you'd like to steal Sean's identity, just go ahead and hop out there and get that. It's all yours. Um, all right. You're up, Rob. I have already ordered several things on Amazon for under his name. It's great. Uh, <laughs> we got an email from Michael C. Uh, he mentions he's also loved during the listener feedback portion, hearing Rob compare my last name, Campochiaro, to Chiaroscuro. In fact, I think Chiaroscuro would make a pretty great character name. Maybe I'll start using it as my alter ego. I think it's taken. I'm pretty sure that was a Batman villain during the Doug Manic run. So uh, I, I'm almost positive that was, that was, that was from that time. So <laughs> nice try, Michael. Uh, we got an email from Kyle Benning, as I mentioned, uh, regarding the Digest Comics. He says, are you kidding me right now? Yes, Digest Comics rock. So glad to hear a Digest Comics issue. I know Rob, Rob obviously has a huge affinity for both Digest and Treasury Comics. And I'm using both of his great blogs on the subject in an attempt to track down as many of both as I can get my hands on. Always good to have Michael Bailey on the show. The Digest <laughs> – the digests I had growing up were limited. Hey, look, he was available. The di- <laughs> Unlike you, the digests I had growing up were limited mostly to the Marvel, G.I. Joe, and Transformers comics. And I remember having the Secret Origins digest that reprinted Crypto's first appearance and reading that over and over until it fell apart as well. Lots of great digest stories. Uh, he, he goes on to say, okay, uh, Mike's right. He goes, he goes on to say, Mike is right. Some of these go ridiculously high at cons and on eBay. I see them run $10 a piece quite a bit, and I've been trying to limit myself to snagging these for under about 250 a piece or so, including shipping, and I've had decent luck. I'm jealous of that, Kyle, because I do want some more of the digests. I, I, last week I was waffling on whether I really want to spend the money. Now I'm back on the, the bandwagon. I want them. <laughs> but I, I, about 250 is kind of my threshold too. Exactly. It's like I, I don't want it. I'm not going to pay $10. Yeah, That's no, it. no. I understand that. And he also said he just reiterates his plug for the two Superman digest that DC put out, which I mentioned at the top of the show and I have right in front of me. I hope considering that every, virtually every major DC character is hitting their 75th anniversary in successive years – I hope they do this every year. They do, do Batman 75, Wonder Woman 75, Aquaman 75. They're all coming, so let's do it. <laughs> they're going to they're collect the Peter David series. That's what they're going to do. Um, he, f- he finishes with great episode, fellas, with a basketball reference to boot. I could listen to you guys talk about tre- treasuries and digest comics all day long. I hope this becomes a regular feature. Can't wait for the next episode. Um, you know, no. I don't, I don't know, Rob. Maybe there is some way we can bust into some more digests or certainly treasuries as well. But that would be fun. I would love to you know, appear on a Fire and Water podcast talking about digests. You know, yeah. I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So. Okay. Uh, Earth 2 Chris sent us an email regarding the digests. Great show, guys. The digests are the backbone of my love for DC. Some of my fondest comic memories come from those digests, and I was crushed twice First, when they seemingly went all Superman in humor, and secondly, when they ended all together. My DC Digest still lying in front of my bookcase to this day, and I regularly pull them off the shelf and reread them. 
the Marvel Digest were far inferior just from the production side alone. The DC Digest adjusted the text and word balloon size to make them more legible at the small size. Marvel did not, and you can get a migraine trying to read those things. Plus, that's, that's fascinating. Yeah, I never I don't think I ever realized that. Plus, the printing is ten times worse than any Charlton comic. Maybe, <laughs> ooh, maybe it was the dreaded flexographic process rearing, rearing its ugly head again. Yes, some, the Spider Marvel gave Spider-Man a digest series called Spider-Man Comics Magazine, which reprinted the um, John Romita era, and they are printed with flexograph, and they yeah. are they're just horrible. So yeah, Marvel really didn't really give a, a crap about doing the uh, digest the way DC did. Um, and then regarding the last episode where uh, Mrs. Shag brought in cookies in the middle of the show, <laughs> he writes, I demand that Shag send every listener a cookie. Here I am at work listening to the show, and now I have a craving for homemade cookies. Damn you, sir. You're welcome. I like how he ends his comment, too. Uh, he talks about Firestorm classic, making fun of Rob's accent. Uh-huh. Uh, if Ronnie can't win a fight with a middle-aged male man with a severe drinking problem, he just <laughs> needs to hang up his poofy shirt. <laughs> did I screw up and say Cliff Clavin again last episode? I think you did, yeah. Oh, jeez. At least once, I yeah. I got a problem with that. Uh, we heard from our buddy Count Druncula. He's <laughs> cracks you. Dude, did you see what happened on April Fool's Day, what him and Ange did? Uh, no. Count Druncula. Okay, Count Druncula runs a Black Canary blog. It's a very good blog called Fishnets or Flowers and Fishnets, a Black Canary blog. April Fool's Day, completely without telling anyone, without notifying anyone, his blog was completely redressed as Firestorm fan. Oh, jeez. Oh, I, I missed it. Oh, not. man. And uh, well, you'll it's, it'll be. I'll have clips of it up on my site later this week. But um, I just I didn't, he didn't even tell. He didn't even like tag me in a post or anything for me to find out. I stumbled across it in a, from a Google alert. I'm reading this Google alert about Firestorm fan. I'm like reading it. I'm like, huh? Okay. And I move on. I go back. I'm like, wait a minute. Did that say fishnets? What the hell? And I had to go back. I had to read it three times. And I'm like. What is happening here? That's great. And he actually did a fake review of a Firestorm comic and everything. I mean, nuts. And then Ange, over on his blog, which Ange does a Supergirl blog, comic book, uh, uh, comic book commentary, uh, or comic comic box commentary. I'm sorry, it's Supergirl blog. He rebranded his as a Nightshade blog. It did a review of a Nightshade comic. Night, In fact, Nightshade, Bob Greenberg... Nightshade Charlton character? Nightshade? Yeah! <laughs> it, it, well, hey, you laugh, but Bob Greenberger came over and commented on it today. Wow. <laughs> so, um, it was hilarious. Now, for those of you who don't know, you and I, Rob... Uh, no, actually, you weren't involved, were you? Huh? Oh, you were too good for us, probably. Um, back in 2011, like nine different blogs did the same thing. Where we all rebranded on April Fool's I'm just Day. lazy. It's not me being snotty. I'm just lazy. <laughs> Firestorm fan, I rebranded it as a Vawana Beast blog on April Fool's Day. And, like, uh, Diablo Frank rebranded all of it. We all picked really, like, D-level characters. <laughs> Diablo Frank rebranded as, you know, like the Osprey instead of um, Marshman Hunter. And Dreadstar. And the Valkyrie from Airboy. I mean, just really funny stuff. So, um... Anyway, so they did that, so I'm sorry. I just had to share that. That cracked me up because I totally stumbled across it by accident and just – I laughed for probably 30 minutes. So anyway, uh, Drunkula writes in because we, we talked about in the last episode now, on issue of 9 of Fury of Firestorm. The first page just looks really off, and he gives a suggestion. He says, looking at the first page of Firestorm number 9 on Tumblr, you guys are right that that, doesn't, that looks, does look different than the rest of the book. Maybe Jerome Moore inked that page himself, but when he fell behind – on schedule, Rodriguez came on to ink the rest of the issue. Hmm. That could be that could be a solution. Maybe yeah. so. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, we heard from our buddy Ben Gray. Thank you. He, uh, he sent me some stuff about plastic. Really appreciate that. And then we got uh, some insane ramblings from our good friend Diablo Frank. He wrote in, uh, we've been talking about, in the Aquaman comic, there's this character who's named Coombs who's being, who got basically dead and he's about to get all uh, fixed up, bionicized or, or geneticized or something. And I'm hyp- hypothesizing he's going to turn into the Creature King. One of Aquaman's earliest villains in the Silver Age. And uh, Frank wrote in here to be a little more specific. He said, Iwangus, I don't know if I'm saying that right, is the Creature King. You guys are talking about Creature King of the Sea. Jack Miller wrote both stories that the distinction is essential. Then he went on to say also, just a reminder, Jerome K. Moore was the designer of some DC Universe original animated movies, specifically Christ on Two Worlds. I did not know that. Nope. And that's a good one. That's one of the good ones. I enjoy that one. So, uh, he also said the lack of concern amongst publishers regarding overexposure. Oh, by the way, this is in reference to the number of Batman titles on the shelf and the number of Avengers titles on the shelf. The lack of concern among amongst publishers regarding overexposure is just another indication of the desperation in current comic publishing. The industry is dying, and considering it has been doing so very, very slowly since, slowly since the 1950s, it's amazing how clearly audible the death rattle sounds. If the only thing selling over 20,000 K have Batman or Avengers in the title, all big two comics become secret mighty Batsu ones. Like Shag, I can't tell you which Avengers titles are core or why so many exist, and I am apathetic with the lot. That's sad. Um, not going to say he's wrong, though. You know, it's a it's a tough one. You know, as a fan, we certainly all want comics comics to succeed, but um, there's it's the market is going to look different in ten years, without a doubt. Very, very different, I think. Yeah, on the eve of Aquaman getting a second title, I'm not going to complain about overexposure. <laughs> That's true, Mr. Cake, and he did too. All right, heard from uh, Martin Stein Returns, which is our, our buddy Robert Gross. He said, Shag, I might be wrong because this is just off the top of my head, but I think the Elemental Firestorm did in fact fight Typhoon. That was a topic I brought up last issue, or last episode. Typhoon was part of a group called Captains of Industry and was a hired gun run by that corporate CEO that was also a huge polluter that the Elemental Firestorm wanted to put out of business. I think the reason it wasn't memorable is because Elemental Firestorm defeated Typhoon so quickly as a way to impress upon the readers how powerful the Elemental Firestorm was now, in that he could make short work of a villain that gave so much trouble with the older version of Firestorm. You could very possibly be right. I, I guess I need to reread my Elemental Firestorm run. I don't remember. I remember the Captains of Industry. I just don't remember if Typhoon was part of it. And, and that would be interesting if, if Elemental Firestorm did battle him. So, uh, And Robert went on to say, I actually think the blank slate version of Firestorm was the most powerful one of them all, except that he didn't, well, have his head together. Quite possible. Uh, we heard from our buddy Boston Moss. He says he's running behind on episodes, but he has a request. He says, next time you guys give a review of a cartoon, please tweak the volume. The cartoon comes through as background noise, but nothing audible enough to be understood. Well, to be fair, Boston, that was intentional. We, we made that decision in advance for a few different reasons. Um, biggest reason being copyright infringement. I mean, we don't own the copyright to those cartoons. Therefore, we don't really own the right to rebroadcast them. So we're very carefully cranking the volume down so that it's not um, going to be an issue. Also, uh, we sort of took our, our take from DVD commentaries. Most DVD commentaries, you know, is not all of them, but some of them you can't really make out what they're saying. You're, you're supposed to be already familiar with the story. Really what our recommendation is, find it on YouTube or whatever, whatever link we give you to watch the episode and follow along that way really is kind of where we're going. Is that is that a fair summation, Rob? 
Yeah, I mean, I wasn't, I personally, I wasn't worried about the audio track because, I mean, the Power Records, we're just putting those right out. Uh, I'm not really There's sure. nobody who can sue you, though. Well, <laughs> the, they, those characters are still owned by the by DC and Marvel. Um, but no, I, I, Shag is right, though. We were, we took it as, we took our cue from generally how they do audio commentaries where you can hear the people talking and then faintly in the background you hear the movie. But you know what? We'll let everyone else, you know, everybody who enjoyed that episode and wants to hear more, let us know. Do you want the volume louder? Do you want it quieter? I mean, let us know. Maybe there's some big constituency one way or the other. I thought I was, I was pretty happy with the way it sounded because it was, to me, it was just enough to kind of hear what was going on, but mostly to hear us. But if somebody, if everybody wants it differently, let us know. Yeah, I mean, as Rob said, if 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 it comes out that way, it will go up some, not dramatically though, because then you won't be able to hear what we say. Right. Um, not that not that what we have to say is so crazy important, but that is the point of the yeah, episode. Exactly. Exactly. So, all right, we heard from our good buddy Jack Dower. I, I have to read some of this here. I love this. Jack, as you know, is is an insane asylum and writes to us from time to time when he gets a chance. He says, Ahoy, fleet commander. Sorry I've been slacking off in the feedback department. I would say this is because of my many crazy problems at work with overtime, office closures, layoffs, and move and all. I would bring up the preparations needed for my upcoming tour of Israel. Might be playing a small part in it. But as my new asylum neighbors would just tell you, that it's really because the guards are getting harder to buy off with beer and cigarettes. He says, you guys were great on the superpowers commentary. That is my favorite version of the show, and not just because a certain affluent avian gains superman's powers in it i must dis- i must disagree with the skipper though i though i love adam west in this i also think he shows some real voice acting chops in the scarecrow episode check it out and let me know what you think i tell you what the scarecrow episode is pretty high on my list of episodes i want us to do uh I, that that's a pretty great episode so i may give adam west a second chance i love that scarecrow episode and then he signs off he goes uh, p.s can't wait to introduce the israel tour group to hey kids comics and ace kilroy this september um, uh-oh, uh-oh, no, Pete, I don't know how your iPad got, got into my cell. Better ask Frank or the new guy. Yeah, that 50th episode of Fire and Water really packs in the business. <laughs> Whole lot of in-jokes in that statement, folks. If you get it, glad you do. <laughs> All right. I uh, heard from our buddy Gene Hendricks. Gene runs a, uh, a blog called The Hammer Strikes, but he has recently taken into a new endeavor as part of the Two Fruit Truth, easy for me to say, Two True Freaks Network. He says, I have started a podcast of my own, and I'm working on a second one with a friend of mine. I hope they can live up to the level of your work. The Hammer Podcasts at Hammer Podcasts. I'm sorry, here's the URL. TheHammerPodcasts.podbean.com. I'm pretty much going to cover whatever topic comes into my lunatic mind. I've covered comics in the second episode, which I just posted yesterday, and I threw in a plug for Fire and Water. Well, thank you for that, Gene. We appreciate that. Very kind of you. I guess that, uh, as I think, I'm going to be the, the first guest on the first episode of his other podcast. The other yes. Week. So, uh, as, as I told him on the show, it can only get better from here. That's so true. Uh, <laughs> uh, David Gutierrez wrote in. He said, I was listening to the Nerdist Writers Panel comic book. Edi- That's a really long title. Nerdist Writers Panel comic book edition with Heath Corson, writer of Justice League War said Warner's kept changing the lineup on him, meaning Warner Brothers, kept changing the lineup of the team in Justice League War on him. At one point, he was told to even pull the Flash. He convinced them that he was too far into the outline phase of scripting to do so, so the Flash remained. So at least Rob can take heart knowing that it was a decision made by execs and not the guy hired to adapt the Johns Lee arc. That's a direct reference to the fact that Aquaman didn't make it into Justice League War. Uh, yeah, I always assumed that it was a corporate thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the guy talks to fish. I mean, really? Um, anyway, and he said, has Firestorm ever been underwater? 
If so, what if anything happens to his flame on his head? Uh, actually, Firestorm's been underwater several times. In fact, uh, we, we were joking about it, I think, just last episode. And uh, I want to start a tally of how many times he goes underwater. Usually what happens is his, his hair turns into sort of roiling energy with lots of Kirby, rather than crackle, Kirby bubbles. So, like, that's what happened in the most recent one. That's kind of what happened during Jurgen's run. So that, that's kind of the typical response. I've only ever seen his hair, his flames go out, out twice. Once was in a corner box as a joke. In the final issue of Firestorm, the issue number 100, it actually has his flame going out and little sparks fly out of his head, which is kind of funny. But the other time, he was kissing Killer Frost. And in her very first appearance, way back in 1978, she kissed him. He froze, and his hair actually went out. And you could see Ronnie Raymond's natural hair underneath, which was wild. They've never done that again, though. Uh, he wrote a great episode. How's this for fate? The very first DC, DC Digest I ever read was the exact same one posted on your Tumblr. It was Adventure Comics 491, and I very much remember the Shazam, Black Canary, and Superboy stories. In fact, it, would be, it would be, wouldn't be until the early 2000s until I saw the resolution of the Black Canary story in her archive volume. Thanks for a great, albeit shagless, episode. I like Michael Bailey, and he makes a good co-host for Rob. Out of curiosity, who would be coy and Vance to your bow and Luke? <laughs> I, my initial response to that was going to be, I would say that would be Mike Bailey and Chris Franklin together. But yeah. that would actually probably be a better show than what we do. And so they would not be the, that would not be coy and Vance. So I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think of who would be worse than us in terms of a team to do a podcast. So but let's not go down that road. Frank and anybody? Oh, wow. that was me. That was me. Love you, you Frank. Derek Crabb wrote in and said, thanks again for the mention. I, uh, and this is talking about the Firestorm figure coming from Mattel. He gave us some info. So for those of you who are asking how to get your hands on the Firestorm Mattel figure, here's some info from Derek. I'm sure folks have probably filled you in by now about the Matty Collector, but just in case. The Total Hero exclusives are day of sales figures. People who have subscriptions are usually granted early access to the day of sale items. So, for example, early access was open a few days ago to subscribers of the Masters of the Universe Classics. Those folks could get list out a couple of different products. There's an Aquaman, a Green Lantern, or whatever. The all-access days of the sale for non-subscribers will be this coming Monday. So it looks like about four days later. Even if some of these sell out, often certain items are relisted at random times throughout the year, are usually offered by other online retailers. The sales schedule will eventually have the Total Heroes, Firestorm, and Black Mana as part of their quarterly releases throughout 2014. He said, also, the shipping charges are pretty ridiculous. The items are usually above and beyond any reasonable pricing, and then the shipping, on average, is around $10 on top of the already $25 to $30 price tag of the figure. Wow. I heard from Lucien Dazar. He said, great episode 83. It was very, very entertaining. I'm really enjoying the classic Firestorm issues that you get guys are covering. I noticed something on the first page. It was curious if either of you know what it is. There's a code uh, in the corner. It says J8402. Now, very fair question. I don't know the answer to that. I checked with Rob before we started. He doesn't either. For those of you, I mean, if you read older comics from the Bronze Ages, you see stuff like that all the time on the splash page, you know? There's like a little letter code with some numbers. If somebody knows the answer to that, I would love for you to share that with us. Please let us know what that is. I assume it's some sort of cataloging code, probably yeah. for the original yeah. Art, but you know, if there's something interesting that you know, just stay with it. Let us know. If it's something really boring, we won't read it on the show. So. <laughs> One more question: Did they have trouble with coloring during their printing process back then? Some of the characters at times look purple or gray. I don't know if it shows up on the digital versions or it shows up in the printed copies. This issue isn't as bad as the previous issues. It's like the humans are like aliens. I noticed with multiple issues of DC Comics from that era. Um, I think it's fair to say that coloring 
had its difficulties back then in the early 80s, and certainly there wasn't as much of attention to the hail on it as it is nowadays. Sometimes they were just background, you know? Well, I mean, also, well, somewhat. I mean, a lot of it, I mean, you know, they weren't doing it, obviously, on computer, and so, like, you were using... Uh, like you know, screens and a lot of way to print these uh, print these colors. I mean, you're doing multiple layers. You're doing this color on top of this color to create this other color. And sometimes, comic books at the end of a certain run of issues, this, the the screens got dirtier, the colors started to wear out, and so colors started fading a little, or or the balance. Of, and that is why, like, I have a regular feature on the shrine called the Ballad of the Yellow Glove, which is all these appearances of Aquaman having a yellow glove. Which I always take as, you know, a sign that uh, he was being disrespected, that they didn't bother to color correct his gloves. That never happened to Superman or Batman. But that's not really accurate. It's because Aquaman's gloves, being green, are the com- are combined colors. They are that's a red, that's a blue screen and a yellow screen being put together to create Aquaman's glove. And sometimes one of the screens just dropped out. Somebody bumped the machine. Somebody dropped their their three martini lunch on it. I mean, who knows? It didn't happen to Superman or Batman because their costumes were blue and red. Those were primary colors. They weren't made up of screens. So it was really just just old technology, you know, just with all the inherent flaws that that sometimes come with that. You know, I hadn't thought about that. That's a good point because in in my real job, I've actually got some experience of going to giant web presses where they print. You know, the, it's not newspapers, but they print magazines and stuff. So you see the giant roll f- flying through there, like you'd always see traditionally for the newspaper presses. And um, we would print projects with, with a certain color. And sure enough, you're absolutely right. The start of the run and the end of the run, the colors were drastically different. Yep. And uh, uh, that's a that's a real good point. So, Rob, you you just contributed something uh, intelligent to the show. It's about Thank time. You. All right, eighty four episodes in. Awesome. And he said one last thing. This issue is creepy. Be- talking about the firestorm issue, this issue is creepy because the scenes with the flooding in Manhattan is almost spot on. And he gave us a picture of the night of the storm, Sandy, uh, as it was flooding in Manhattan. And then he compared it to the scene with firestorm, and he goes, it, it, it honestly, folks, it looked pretty similar. Mm-hmm. So, speaking from my experience, it was really weird seeing cars floating down the street like that. Yeah. <laughs> mm. um, we got an email from Ange, as we previously mentioned, from Super, from the uh, Comic Box Commentary blog. Uh, that's the Nightshade blog. That's right, the Nightshade blog. Uh, he just mentions, just wanted to drop a comment about the Digest episode Rob did with Mike Bailey. These Digests were also part of my Beach House reading comics, I recall, reading the most during the summers of my youth. They were the perfect throw in my back pocket and read in the backyard. While there were plenty of Superman books, I actually went away from the Super books to sample other comics I might not be able to read. I can very vividly remember meeting the Metal Men Digest, the Brave and the Bold one, the JSA one with the Dr. Fate solo adventure, that's awesome, and the top, oh. the top ten Digests as well. And I have a bunch of memories from those which led me seeking out some of the issues. For example, the JSA one included some great Golden Age stories, one where men drank from a river of ruthlessness and tried to kill the JSAers. But it was the first issue special Dr. Speak first issue special Dr. Fate story that I absolutely adored. So much so that I bought the issue, reviewed it on Frank's Budlines blog, and have the issue autographed by Joe Kubert, cover, and Walt Simonson, Inside Art. Oh! Dude, I love that comic book so much. I own the original, I own the reprints, and the the Immortal Doctor Fate. I, oh, it's such a good comic. Yeah, and it just wraps up. The Brave and the Bull one had a Viking Prince story again by Kubert and a Silent Night story. I would have never read that stuff either. Yeah, and you just got exposed to stuff because they had like an extra 20 pages to throw in. So, you know, like in that JSA book, they had two JSA stories, and they're like, well, let's just throw the Doctor Fate story in there. Why not? Because he's a member of the JSA. And that's that's how you got it. And, of course, that story is killer. So, You know what sucks is that 
all of us nuclear subs are now bidding against each other. And <laughs> we are, you mentioned jokingly said helping the economy, but we're also just costing each other more money because we all, all of a sudden, all of us want to get these digests. We're all screwing each other over. Who just, Thanks, sniped, who just sniped that digest out from under me? Ange 37B. What? <laughs> Um, got some emails from our good buddy Luke Dobb. He said, I'm with Shag on Arrow. I've given it a couple of tries, and it just feels plastic. That's a good description, by the way. I wish the writing and acting felt a bit more authentic. Oh, well, I hope the Flash spinoff is better. I'm more interested in runs fast guy than arrow shooting guy anyway. I'm glad other people are enjoying it, though. My only concern is that success will direct the tone of DC projects to come. I'd opt for a relatable over brooding and beautiful any day. Then uh, I shared a, a, a story from Luke last time, uh, or what previous time about his, some comic book origins. He wrote in, um, so I guess I learned my lesson. Never send a private message to Shag unless you want it read on the podcast. Take note, nuclear subs. All communication is fair game. I'm just thankful Shag did and post the shirtless pic I texted to him in that fire and water tumbler. Ew. <laughs> and yes, anything you share is fair game, folks, unless you tell me otherwise. Uh, wrote on to say, I have to say, I am loving what Parker is doing with Aquaman. Issue 29, I kept thinking I was reading a creepy horror comic. I have to, had to remind myself that I was reading Aquaman. Cool. While the monsters consuming the press were scary and disgusting, I'm glad that Paul dialed down the gore. I was, it was still terrifying, but palpable. I'm not a big fan of gore in comics. Suggestion is a powerful tool that doesn't get employed enough. Under Parker, this book is just plain fun. Adventure, sea monsters, and a not-stone-cold Mara. Who could ask for more? I will say she's stone-cold hot, hot, though. That was me, not Luke. He says, uh, I'm looking forward to the team-up with Swamp Thing. Unlike Shag, however, I hope these characters get along. There's a cartoon I used to watch as a kid. It was called Super Friends, not <laughs> Super Jerks. <laughs> with that, folks, I think we're going to wrap up uh, sort of an abbreviated listener feedback. We're, we're not going to get a chance to do all the Facebook and Twitter and Tumblr and Google Plus and Instagram and everything this time. We will hit that on a future episode. But we want to get through um, the comments from our blogs and the emails. That's primarily what this was this time. Thank you so much for writing in, folks. Um, we got a couple more things to talk about, I think, right? Yeah, well, one thing we wanted to mention is uh, some of you have already received them by now, but we have created a fire and water nuclear sub pin. Uh, it's a 1.5-inch square pin that we are giving out to people as just a way to say thanks for your devotion to the show and also as a, hopefully a way maybe you can plug it if you like wear it at, at a Comic-Con or just wear it around and people will see it and maybe ask you what it's about. And on the back of the it's, – you know, it's got our logo and it says Fire and Water Podcast Nuclear Sub, branding you as a nuclear sub. Um, a couple if, – if, if you don't know the term, what it – you know, obviously nuclear sort of represents firestorm, submarine rep- – Represents Aquaman. Sub also doubles for subscriber, so it's just a beautiful symmetry. That's the what we call the listeners of the show. Nuclear subs, right? Um, so some of you have already gotten them. I sent. I, I got a bunch created, and I mailed a few out. Not. I'm not playing favorites. It was literally like, who do I have addresses for within one <laughs> one click away? Oh, these people. Okay. So some of you have already got them. Uh, if you want one of these, they are completely free. Uh, they are, we're not charging at all for them or anything like that. But what you have to do is you have to follow these instructions. If you want one, you have to email us at firewaterpodcast at comcast.net. In the subject line, just put F&W pin and then give us your address. Uh, if you want to throw in compliments about how awesome we are, that's great too. It's not going to necessarily increase your chances of getting a pin because they are limited, but it might. Um, but that's what you have to do. 
don't send us addresses via Twitter or Facebook. Well, you shouldn't do that anyway. But Facebook or Twitter or email or uh, like personal messages. Like if you want a pin, send it to firewaterpodcast.net and ask for one. Um, we have a limited amount of them. I were, it's, it's it's fair to say it's a very limited amount. Very really, limited compared amount to, compared to the number of people who listen to the show. Probably. So. Well, we are hoping. I'm thinking maybe we'll get more done considering how many. It's seeing how many people ask for them. Um, it's going to be first come first serve. For right now, it's going to be just people in the U.S. because mailing things overseas for free is like a friggin' fortune. But I will we'll work on that and see what we can do because we knew we know we have a lot of fans outside of the United States. So um, if you're someone who lives overseas and you have like an American address, some people do that. Give us the American address, we'll send it to you. So it's just sort of a you know it's not some formal thing. It's really just a way to say thanks. It's just a little trinket that you can have and wear at comic conventions and other nerd like gatherings. So again, if you want one. Um, we'll put we'll put a picture of it on the uh, Tumblr so you can see what we're, it looks we're, like. We're turning you into our walking billboards. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so again, email firewaterpodcast at comcast dot net. I, I love the pins, guys. They're really cute. Uh, I've got mine here on my desk. Rob was kind of to send me some too. Uh, in fact, I'm going to hang on to a few. And when I go to Dragon Con this year, if you guys find me, uh, you know, I'll give you one. So perfect, awesome. Well, with that, folks. Uh, oh, actually, are wait, are we done? Well, all right. I, we probably should wrap it up, but I have one little brief story that I wanted to mention just because what the hell I didn't mention it on the show. Some of you have seen this on my Facebook page. So I guess a lot of you have not. Um, is a couple – I'm just telling you a funny story that happened. A couple of weeks ago, um, some of you – I mentioned this on my job. Uh, I've mentioned this on the show previously about my job. The main part of my job is to reach out to new clients of uh, – uh, people who make movies and TV shows and try and get them to give us their trailer content because our company advertises trailer content across a whole big network of websites and things like that. If you ever go to RottenTomatoes.com um, and you ever right, – should you ever go there? You go to Rotten Tomatoes, right? Yeah, I've been there, yeah. Okay. If you go to RottenTomatoes.com and they have like a trailer for a movie, mm-hmm. that trailer comes from us. That's so cool. And now we don't make them, obviously, but they they have to literally come from somewhere, and they come from us. So we provide a bunch of big companies with their trailer content. So my job is to go to these other content providers and say, "Hey, we're giving you free advertising. Give us your trailers." And you would think a lot. Of, you think everybody would say, "Sure, why not?" Well, you don't get a lot of. Sometimes a lot of people say no because they're just like, "What? I don't understand. Why? Why do I?" You know, there's a lot of like kind of handholding got to go through. Anyway, a couple of weeks ago. I had a really rotten day where I had a client basically tell me to F off because, because I was uh, bugging them about getting their content. And I didn't take it terribly personally, but I took it a little personally because I think I have a very polite style. And here was somebody just being, to me, very stupid and then being kind of rude. And, you know, and it really ruined my day. Even though I've had a lot of success at this job and I've been very well rewarded, um, it hurt me, and that like it ruined my day. The whole rest of the day, I just was like just in this terrible funk because I just was so bothered by this person's reaction. So anyway, I came home and I was walking to my mailbox, and I was like all Charlie Brown with my head down and the sad music and stuff. So I go to my mailbox, and in there is a letter from Neil Gaiman. What? And I'm like, huh? Okay, that's interesting. Now. I had sent Neil a copy of Hey Kids Comics a couple of months ago because I had talked oh, to him, yeah. okay. I had talked to him about being in Volume One. 
he wrote me a hand he sent me a handwritten letter saying he was too busy and he was made his apologies and i i was very touched by that because you know he took he took me and the book seriously enough to to say no in person you know say no uh directly as opposed to just ignoring me so i had kept up with that's, him what, what's his handwriting like oh it's it like- it, it's almost impossible to read so um <laughs> But he writes on these little uh, Neil Gaiman never wear cards, like a little doodle of almost like a Sandman looking kind of guy. And there's like a word balloon. So anyway, I had sent Neil a copy of Hakeet's comics and I had with a note just saying, hey, man, you know, uh, I wanted you to know I finished the book. You know, it's like, you know, I did do it, even though, you know, you said no, I went on with it and I'm so glad I did. And thank you, whatever. So waiting for me in the mail was a note from Neil saying how much he loved the book. He called it, quote-unquote, glorious and said that he was sorry he's not, he was not involved in it because that Hey Kids Comics was basically the story of his life. Oh! So, as you might imagine, that lifted my day. <laughs> I changed my, the, the, the tone of the day quite a bit. And oh I, you know, was very, very touched by that note that he would make the effort to do that, to write – a note. I mean, he everything that comes from Neil comes from his assistant. He has an assistant out in California who he forwards everything through. And so she sent it to me and said, Neil gave me this to give to you. I'm sorry I forgot to mail it to you. Here it is now. And I thought, well, it could not have been better timing because that just made me feel so much better after I had such a rotten day and feeling so unappreciated uh, to get that from Neil Gaiman was, was deeply, deeply touching. And so, you know, I have a lot of um, negative associations with Hey Kids Comics because it did not roll out the way I wanted it to roll out and it has not been the success that I was hoping that it was going to be and there's lots of other things about it that, that I uh, have, have bittersweet feelings over. But I am proud of it and to hear Neil Gaiman, Neil Gaiman call it glorious really was an amazing thing. And so uh, I just wanted to share that story. That was all. It was just something I wanted to, to mention anyway, because I think anyone out here is listening to this knows who Neil Gaiman is and can imagine that's a, was a pretty nice compliment to get. Dude, he's, he's a, he's a New York times best selling author. He's, he's, Neil Gaiman. He's, he's, Neil Gaiman. he's practically a national treasure in England. I kid you not. Yeah. Uh, um, so yeah, I think everyone knows who he is. My wife knows who he is. Right. My wife's read one of his books. Right. You know, and she doesn't do it. So, dude, I would, I don't know, but I would frame that and just keep it on the wall. And I, just... I have it in an envelope with his other note. I think I'm going to, like, get them framed together. Yeah. <laughs> do the two notes from Neil Gaiman. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. Oh, man. I, I, I can't tell you how happy I am for you. That is so yeah, incredibly great. cool. That was very nice. That's I awesome. never, I, what a, what a great guy. What a great so. guy to do that. All right. So. Hey, Kids Comic Volume 2. Just saying. Put it out there. Whatever. Working on it. Working you know. on it. Okay. <laughs> All right, folks. Uh, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Uh, you know, if you want some more content, we're going to put a few images up on the Tumblr, including the pin, maybe a few other segments from the comics, and some other stuff. We've talked about some of the artwork from Zum. Uh, Rob, can you tell them the Tumblr address? Fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com. There you go. And, Rob, if people want to email us uh, to the show, because, you know, if you want a pin, you got to email Andy Capellish, you don't send stuff through Facebook. Look, did I call someone out? Look at that. Uh, Rob, what's that email address? Firewaterpodcast at Comcast.net. There we go, folks. In the meantime, be sure to head over to AquamanShrine.net for for all your needs of the King of the Seven Seas. You can also find them on Facebook and Twitter under the same handle. 
if you're looking for some nuclear man action, and that's not a euphemism. <laughs> uh, I love you. how you say that with the weird pause. Yeah, after it came out of my mouth, it was just like, oh, oh, that's not good. Anyway, uh, firestormfan.com. You can also find more content on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Google+, and Tumblr, all under the Firestorm Fan handle. All right, folks, until next time, fan the flame and ride the wave. Bye. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair. Stand for truth and justice and see on land and air. Firestorm and Aquaman, they make a super pair. Aquaman. Super friends forever. Yeah. Say, kids, what is it up in the sky? Is it a bird? Is it a plane? No, it's Superman. Yes, sir, kids, a real flying Superman that can be yours. Looks just like Superman himself. He's made of tough blue plastic and has a bright red cape that fits on his shoulders. With your flying Superman, you get a powerful launcher to send him sky high, zooming through space just like Superman does in his adventures. Now, you'll want to be one of the first to have your own flying Superman, so listen carefully, because here's all you do to get yours. Send one box top from Kellogg's Corn Flakes and just 10 cents. That's one box top and just 10 cents to Flying Superman, Box 330, Battle Creek, Michigan. Or use the handy order blank right on the Kellogg's Corn Flakes package. Get your flying Superman from Kellogg's now.